0: All right, what's up, you bad Christian buttholes? Welcome back to the podcast. I'd like to say right off the top here that uh, this might be the time you've been meaning to join the BC Club. We're going to be making some changes there, and by changes, I mean big upgrades. But uh, we've got a Discord community started. There's Facebook for the people that like Facebook. We do more podcasts over there on that feed than we do over here. And uh, we may even increase that a little bit. So I think now is, this is a hint, now is a good time to join the BC Club. Go to thebcclub.com and you can choose what level or what facets of the community you'd like to be involved in. But there's more going on over there than over here. That's what I'll tell you about it. Similarly... Our band Emory's doing a bunch of stuff on Twitch, and so the real stuff's gonna kinda happen in real time, and so you gotta just hang out with us and and come join us off the grid, as it were. I know it's on the grid, because it's still technology, but still, it's not in the public square, and that's the point. We've got a lot of good things cooking in the local community we kind of think of ourselves as a local band emory and this bad christian podcast is just your friends hanging out that's kind of the way that we're trying to think going forward because of how toxic the public square seems to be so go to the dbcclub.com and go to twitch.tv forward slash emory music if you want to come hang out with us for real Alright, today's show is brought to you by Stamps.com. Bad Christian listeners get a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter the code Christian. That's Stamps.com. Enter the code Christian. Also, today's show is sponsored by 8Sleep. Get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8Sleep.com slash bad Christian.
1: Let's go! Oh,
2: hell yeah, God showed up. I don't give a shit what I put in my
0: body. You don't ever f- talk to me that way. <laughs> so if you've never done oral, then you're extra virgin.
2: No, girl, it was my flesh.
0: You're I showed my dad mad.
2: my penis when I was 25 years old. You don't get more honest than that.
1: Three, a two, one. Yo, Adrian, hit it! <coughs>
3: Yo, agent is the bad Christian podcast, <laughs> man. <you laughs> know, I don't. I don't know. I just.
2: I don't know. You wanna say I'm scared? I am scared, alright. Your I've
3: been watching the Rockies and just... Is that your favorite
2: series? Movie series is definitely mine. There's nothing... Not, I don't uh, not know yet because I've
3: started other series now. Like I went back and... Oh, yeah, I, let me tell you all this on a, I know that we're, we're off already on not what we said we were going to talk about <laughs>
0: immediately. <laughs> we're all the best movie series I, of all so time I, now. I, okay, I, got, go ahead. I,
3: I went one through three on Rocky and I want a little bit of a break before because four was the first like first movie I ever remember watching in my life at the movie yeah. theater. Rocky Four in 1984, by the way, which is hilarious when you look back, the, the time differences between the movies and stuff. It's crazy. But uh, so I took a break and I was, I was like, I'm going to watch another series. And I started Batman Begins. So I'm back on now, like a different series, like Batman Begins, The Dark Knight. And then the last one, I forget what it's even called. Which that, which,
2: which, is Batman with, Begins. With That's Christian, uh...
3: Christian Bale and, uh, okay. you, you know. Uh, Who
2: was the Batman before that? What was his name?
3: So there was a bunch. So I went back to the very first Batman from my childhood, not okay. the Adam West ones, but the uh, Michael 80s. Keaton one. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's Michael Keaton, Keaton was yeah. the first Batman and I started watching it and it's so funny. Now, one thing I, immediately realized, I was like, <sighs> it's funny because it's a Tim Burton film. So it's, it's yep. a little goofy and funny. And so that's kind of neat. I actually really appreciate that. Now. Michael Keaton's pretty good in it, and I think he was supposed to be playing a little bit of a, you know, not comedy, but, like, he's he's a little funnier and goofy. His Bruce Wayne is almost like uh, Clark Kent, a little goofy, fumbly, whatever. He puts on this thing, and, like, he's forgetful, he's whatever, and then Batman's just super tough. But, like, some of the shots are, like, super long, dramatic, bat wings all the way out floating down and all this stuff. But I'm telling you, Jack Nicholson is just unbelievable at acting is yeah. yeah, just I, I was like, oh my gosh, I did not even realize how good he is in that movie. Like I mean, it by far is the best performance in that movie. It is yeah. phenomenal. His best performance
2: it, you're th- Really?
3: oh, yeah, That's, Jack Nicholson is the uh, joker so get, It really I was like, whoa, and what's so funny is, I'd forgotten how many one-liners he had from that movie. Now, I know he probably didn't write the dialogue, but, I mean, the way he delivers them is per way do they get a load of me. And, and he, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, I forget the other one I just saw. But anyway, um, I, I was blown away. But anyway, all that to say, Rocky might be, Devin and I go back and forth on this, might be the greatest character, greatest series ever no. as far as movie yeah, goes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and, and I to to think know. that
2: he, uh And to think that if he would have run after money Right. We would be sitting here talking about a series that did not make Nears an impact, and it was Burt right. Reynolds, and it was a Rocky 1 and 2. Because they yeah. did not want to uh, – they did not want Sylvester Stallone to star as Rocky. They wanted to buy the script off to him and then run with it with Burt Reynolds and there's oh two other gosh. people. And he said, no way. This right. is my script. They
3: kept re- raising the money, raising the money, raising yep. the money. And what's really funny, though, is he still – he didn't know it would be the series. He wrote it thinking the end – he thought he buys the uh, pet store, and that's the end. But then it won. It won oh the award. God. It won the Academy Award or whatever for yep. best film that year, which was it was up against uh, unbelievable stuff too. It's kind of crazy. But then it just launched a series. Now also,
2: uh, Rambo's great. I love yeah.
3: Rambo's too, man. The first yeah. Rambo is phenomenal.
2: It's, yeah, it's yeah. good. It is. He's good. definitely I, one of my favorite actors of all time by far. So he's just. It is. I, he's I didn't do a good impression. I did
0: not. Yeah. There's a lot of good movie series, but I don't. I mean, it's got to be either Rocky Minus or Matrix. I don't know. Fifty Shades of Grey and darker. (laughs) I I love that one. I mean, I don't know. Let me tell you all
2: something that I think I've done for the first time today uh, on my little lunch break. By the way, a really good lunch uh, for people that don't didn't want to eat. Carbs. Overeat. I'm guessing yeah. didn't overeat. <laughs> nope. But check this out. Just some really good lunch meat, like something sliced from the deli, and then mm. some shredded cheese, melt and melt it all Ooh and then pour salsa God. on it. It Man, really really is lot. good. And it's quick. It's good. But Anyway, so I was I was eating that and then I finally wa- uh watched the song of Adam Sandler uh tributing Chris Farley. And so I there's there's a phrase that's been from coming from a stand-up to- special, yeah. Yeah, there's a phrase that's been coming to my mind lately, and it's like the spirit of humanity. And I don't even know what that means, but I just I feel it, and I get so intrigued by it that we're able to share in stuff that exists in certain times and places that only some people understand and how beautiful that is. So I'm watching Adam Sandler. So the... Uh, the 3 of us are huge Chris Farley fans. I mean, we put him on top of the list of people yeah. that we think are the funniest, most. I truly believe that if he would have lived, if he was still living, we would have seen the same versatility in Chris Farley that we see in Jim Carrey. Like I think that he had that capacity we never saw it. He was extremely gifted, but it just brought so much joy to our lives. And so to see Adam Sandler, yet another person who did the same thing for us. You know, and and to think about it too. Think about the the season of life that we consumed yeah. this entertainment. It was There were some hard seasons. There was like figuring out stuff, and this was like a break from that and just being able to laugh at Happy Gilmore beating the hell out of Bob Barker and stuff. I mean, that was true joy. And so I'm watching Adam <laughs> Sandler. I'm watching Adam Sandler sing songs about Chris Farley, and all of it together, for the first time, I literally was taking turns laughing and crying. I was laughing and then truly crying because here, here's here's what it was for me it was it was a best friend tributing his best friend but then you hear everybody in the crowd when he says a line that my guess would be most millennials wouldn't even know what he's talking about whether you know saturday night live line or something that chris farley did on a funny skit the whole crowd goes crazy in elation but i didn't just hear applause and people clapping i heard This means something. This is something that permanently affected us, and we get to laugh and cry and watch Adam Sandler, and I could not hold it together. I just couldn't hold it together. It was such a moving thing, and you—you guys told me that exact thing. That if when you know when you hear this song, it it will be very moving. But it just—it was a spiritual moment for me.
3: I I mean, Chris Farley was to me one of the—I mean, maybe the funniest uh, person I'd ever seen. I just never saw that humongous delivery, and just somebody that would completely sell out and just yeah. throw himself everywhere and do anything and and every all of his movies to me were just so funny like i mean i just i i really do look back sometimes and go man if he would have lived what if he would have lost some weight could he have been like a jim carrey like moved into serious movies and done for stuff sure. and it would have just could. been like oh my gosh cuz i i just think he would have sold himself out even for the um or, or Totally bought into being a serious character or anything, and it would have just been we we missed out on so much good stuff. I know lots mm-hmm. of artists and actors and actresses died, but he him particularly, I was just like, man, I just when I heard that news, I was really sad. Oh yeah, he died. I,
2: that I heard about Chris Farley dying literally a few months after I met Toby. We were RAs together, and I came downstairs, walked through the lobby, and I it was like a a random Thursday night, and I saw. Clips of Chris Farley on the TV. I was like, well, Why are they showing Chris Farley?" And someone said, "Oh, well, he died." And I was like, "I couldn't. I just could mm-hmm. not believe it." And and Toby, what you said about, um, you know, what we both said about his versatility. You saw glimpses of that in his slapstick right. comedy. Exactly. There, there are scenes in Tommy Boy where he oh my God. accesses some emotion about his dad dying, and you're like, "That dude is good at everything acting. Right. He's not yeah. just good at making people laugh. The dude is on fire with everything."
0: Yeah, I so, really yeah, think just the quality. I think the quality that he had is like Toby's saying to sell out to something is to is to, to pull off something ambitious, a strong emotion, a big move, like to be able to go for it and pull it off. And I, 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 the more and more I keep looking at art and music and or even, I think I'm thinking of that way about songs right now. It's like you you like a a, a hardcore yeah. song or something Josh Scoggin does for or something like it's way out there and he's able to pull it off basically like when right. you can have a big bid a high ask a high bar and just some little kid cody from a- acb can become powerful and pull it off that's what's power that's what people there's just so much there so you know what i mean like to fall flat and say oh try something like chris farley i can be loud and big and crazy not really i can't i can't pull that off he was right. able to and he could do it no matter what, it had a, it's extra gear. It's what star power is or something. It's just that extra gear to be able to pull off something that's almost absurd.
2: It's so crazy how this world is so advancing so steadily with technology, and yet we still archaically get into our horse and buggy and ride to the post office when you've got stamps.com saying, hey, we've got a better way. You can do this at... Your are daggum home, man. Stop going to the post. Uh, seriously, Charleston traffic is just insane. And anytime I can not leave the house and just do something in the comfort of my own home, I'm going to do that. And I actually do that with stamps.com up. Personal use, business use, all sorts of things because Charleston traffic is crazy. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that live in big cities and are in the same sort of situation. But even if the traffic's not that bad, are you going to waste gas going to the post office? So let me tell you about stamps.com's. Stamp do, stamps.com. Stamps.com, dot com brings all the amazing services of the postal service right to your computer whether it's small office sending invoices and online seller shipping out pride, uh, products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle it and they can handle it all with ease. So you simply use your computer to print an official postage and you can do this any second of the day, 24-7 for any letter, package, mail, anywhere you want it to go. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or you drop it in your mailbox. It's that simple. So it comes with a scale and you weigh it on your own. You Take You get your own label, and you do it all on your own. So with stamps.com, you get $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. So while you are convenienced, you also save money. So this is a fraction of the cost of these expensive, expensive postage meters that you're accustomed to. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It really is. I mean, saving you time and money. It's no wonder 700,000 small businesses already use it. So right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes four a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. You get you get a free gift, and you don't have to commit. But after the fee, free uh, four-week trial, I'm pretty sure you will want to. So just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian all caps, all one word. That's stamps.com enter bad christian
3: you 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 see it all the time even like in sports like there of course there are other guys in the nba that are built like lebron or bigger or even stronger or something but there is something and i don't know what that is is i don't know if it's a Yeah, there's a thing that moves you past everything else yeah and and maybe everybody has it to some extent and you just got to find what your, your big or small whatever it is but that is really interesting that you can just Go past something, past beyond, and, and, distress, and yeah. other people recognize it. Can't even hardly describe yeah. it. That's what that's that's why that yeah. song. I mean, Adam Sandler knew it. He's like, this, this is something, it wasn't just that he's funny, billions of funny people. Yeah. There's a million people that are probably, in instances, of course, funnier than
2: Chris Farley, but there was just something there that was just it right. was captivating. I mean, Chris, Chris Farley was the guy, and this this is a legitimate true story, he's the guy. That turns to Adam Sandler off stage while Saturday Night Live recording is, is live and everybody's watching it. And he basically says, I'm not going to be an extra in this skit. I'm going to show <laughs> out and they're not even giving me permission. Right. And now that's all we remember the skit for is Chris Farley's right. reaction to someone coming up and asking him about the coffee. He's like whoa <laughs> Is, what does he say he's like uh, perfecto perfecto yeah. and he was not supposed to do that he wasn't supposed to steal the show and he said i don't care and and do you think one person was upset about that no
0: no but it's also something about humans this really spe- you said the human spirit thing made me think of it but it's it's like this natural phenomenon that humans do they'll collect together people with talents or interests like Chris Farley's on Saturday Night Live with the other funniest people that go to the extremes already, and then in that realm, he transcends. Right, and so just collecting people together like you get the small the, the bigger yeah. pond and the small fish and then something emerges like that's the emergent human quality this right. astonishing happens in right. science and everywhere else too it's like wait these people are this smart and then these physicists get together and then they see who's this and it's like wow i think you know it can be really positive it doesn't have to be competitive but it's like that's just an amazing thing people can group together and then the talent will come above and it, it's a it's a it's not a zero-sum game it's Everybody wins. And like, to put yeah, context, that's what humans that. are supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah.
2: And and to put context to that, a perfect example of the collection of comedians, I mean David Spade, one of the better comedians out there, one of the more successful, great, professional, awesome. And he basically was completely a hundred percent uh what's the word i'm looking to uh he he could not function in a skit with chris farley because chris farley made him laugh the whole time like that was a fellow comedian that could yeah. not do his job in the van by the river skit because the other comedian who was stealing the show was making him laugh the whole time right. he right. covered up his face another comedian uh, right. had That's to ditch it's, his it's, job
0: <laughs> totally it's one thing to be able to like be the funniest person in a room and command the most rooms of average people but to be able to dominate and Will Ferrell almost has the same ability. that you know, oh, yeah. To think about yeah. it, like to just go above and and dominate even the funniest people with just some raw power or something. Like, <laughs> it made when, me when sad.
3: All... Was it what what podcast was it? Was it Norm Macdonald's podcast where Dave Dave Spade was on, which is the best episode on Netflix of Norm Macdonald? But I think it was that that episode where he talked about he didn't go to Farley's funeral because David Spade didn't. Yeah, he, he said yeah. he just couldn't go. He could not. He yeah. would not be able to handle it. He didn't want people to see him not handling it, or you know, is probably is a little selfish, probably in a way. But I understand it because it, it like he just they were super close. They were actually close, and right. he just couldn't go. He just could not
2: do it. And I was like, whoa, that's just so now, crazy, Matt, Matt. When you look at Chris Farley's demise, do you do you think? Something clinical was going on there, or do you think, ooh, he just didn't know how to handle all the fame, or it was just uh, a matter of he was he he got addicted to drugs?
0: Or I mean, what, no, what, what? no, uh, no, I don't think the drugs are the factor, but um, I mean, the, a factor, I'm sure, but not the driver. But I think it's, you know, it's probably the real thing going on there where his ability to do the other thing is maybe disordered from being a normal, like he had to be that to be himself, to be somebody like it's, it's not healthy at, to be a a balanced stable person to be able to do what he's able to do, but that's just what he was able to do and how he had to do it. Like, I mean, I think he felt compelled to be that much for everybody and that's not going to be, that's Mm. not, you know, whatever the drives it would take to be that extreme can't have a, as normal of a base. Now, on the other hand, Will Farrell seems to be a relatively grounded person, but not yeah. they're not the same. But Chris Farley's thing was, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I think it's more of a function of the whatever disorder way he was just happened to have this side effect that So beautiful. It's just unbelievable. Have y'all seen the the,
2: documentary on iTunes? I am Chris Farley. I was watching,
0: no, but I I just, it's too sad. I mean, I I watch clips of him that are funny. I don't like to, I don't know. It's just, it's too sad, really. But the question that it brings up is, you know, what's better for the world and everybody, a balance, mm, yeah. Chris Farley that wasn't funny, that live a normal right. life, or yeah, what, like he, gave, short or what life he gave worth to it? the world. I yeah. mean, I don't, I mean, right. like, of course, you know, and, and of course, there's one way to answer that one. Of course, you wouldn't sacrifice somebody's life to make us laugh, but, only, and but I think a reasonable for way him? to look at Well, would I it, think it's, re- well, I don't know. I think it's very, it's not that unreasonable of a question. I mean, you go all the way back through human stuff, you consistently see humans doing things that are risky or dangerous or going to war and battle to try to do transcendent things it's like giving your life for a thing and i don't think he did that voluntarily but that's the thing that fundamentally always makes us care so much it's in the jesus story it's in the, it's he gave everything for us i mean yeah. you see that's in there right it's like a mm-hmm. soldier he goes he gives a life for the thing he's going to go to the beyond anything and fight till he dies for you or jesus or yeah. sell out to the humor to some degree where he's sacrificing the process i mean you know i'm not weighing in on it other than those are the questions it kind of raises
2: well toby this 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 uh this may sound like a really weird question but i I think matt can relate to this like in our early stages of our friendship we all loved who you were everything about you but the most prevailing thing about toby morrell was his crazy ass public i will do anything to make anybody laugh at denny's at winthrop at the cafeteria i'll do anything that was the main thing that we knew about Toby was, oh, yeah, he's our, our best friend and we love everything about him, but my God, he's funny. Did that ever get to be like some sort of a trapped identity? Because you did cross a line. I think maybe that had a lot to do with, you know, you're serious about Jessica, and I'm probably speaking out of my ass right now and not evaluating this correctly at all, but did you ever feel like, I'm more than funny? Like, I'm, uh, there's a lot more
3: to me. Yeah, I, I resent that. It's probably some kind of correlation <laughs> here with the weight. <laughs> like my weight and Chris Farley's weight, I kind of resent that. Like, That's you not were funny. You were funny, all. Toby. Funny. Uh, Do you really I, think
2: I, that, or you're joking? Because I'm. I,
3: I just want to move on. Uh, I think that, yeah, part, part of me was I was the fat kid and I had to be funny to get noticed or uh, what I thought people had to like mm-hmm. me. I thought if I wasn't super funny, then what did I have to offer? So there was a part of my personality that became that. He's funny. Now, I do think I'm naturally just funny. I like cutting up and I still do a ton. But some of that, you know, uh, pratfalls and stuff like that have gone. I, that doesn't seem to. I, maybe it's just that I don't find them as funny anymore. Or uh, I I have a hard time now. If I felt like I've seen so much funny stuff that it it takes a lot I, I i really now more in the process and the way it was delivered like even when i go back and watch a chris farley movie now it's not it used to be funny toby i my brain goes Chris Farley funny. Now I go, whoa, look at him delivering that and Mm -hmm. how he did this. Mm -hmm. And he, and he way cocks his head back. You can see that it, it causes, is a huge motion. So the other actors have to relay this way to him. (laughs) Like all of that stuff. Like now I'm, I'm actually appreciating more of the actual form and the, and the way he did it. And so I'm, I'm more of a studier of that, but I, it was definitely a part of my, I I wanted y'all to like me. So I
0: thought if I make y'all really laugh, y'all will want Toby around and it does work.
2: Yeah, it
3: does. It, it
0: comes at a cost when people just see you as a clown. And yes. can you imagine if you were Chris Farley? You right, know, basically. So uh, man, it so still gonna,
3: does. Even on this podcast, people think I'm the one that's just loud right. and yelling and going to make you laugh. But there might not be as much depth as that pastor and that smart guy. So before we talk, yeah, loud. Yeah, Toby told
0: me that the other day. He said at the conference when he did a breakout session and it was tender and it, you know it was emotional and stuff like that. The people were coming up to him after going like. Toby, I didn't expect that from you, man. <laughs> so I was like, what the I fuck? Like, I have emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I have thoughts.
2: Hey, <laughs> hey so j- just to give people a, a funny visual to uh, enter this Richard Gore interview with, so I'll, I'll give you an example of this type of stuff. Toby, I'll give you one example. So imagine right. being in Denny's. It's, j- it's jam-packed full of people. A good hundred people. Servers are running around. And Toby and about six of his friends have occupied that big circular area or the circular table that sits a bunch of people in the corner and he literally looks at all of us and there's people all over there's people tables next to us and he says guys there is a monster under this damn table and we're like what are you talking about and right when we respond he as loudly abrasively uh, hitting the table as he basically acts out being dragged under the table by a monster to where you literally don't see Toby anymore he gets pulled under the table and said oh god oh god and people are looking, people are staring, and people are like, what in the hell is wrong? And the seven people at that table, we benefited from being a part of that. It was the best. <laughs> see, see now head head the
3: older head. Toby looks back, and I can remember that, and I go, uh, so one one of the things that I do is I always look for something that I can – be funny with or make fun of so in that instance i remember those denny seats were super slippery and i realized i was slide i had my feet down and i was i was sliding really easy i was like oh it'd be really funny if i just acted like something grabbed me and pulled me i could slide myself do you remember that for oh, i thought you yeah, were yeah, no no, no i that. totally remember it so i was able just to use my leg and so i would go i raised <laughs> raise my arms up in the air and went at like it looked like i got pulled under but it was just my legs being able All to pull me on the slippery sleep, sl- uh, seat but that is like the where i'm at now i go oh i I'm noticing that this could be funny. How could this be funny? Why? And and so I appreciate that side, too. I'm still super funny, though. Anyway, not as funny as Richard Rohr. God, that guy busted me up during this interview. (laughs) Comedian Richard Rohr up next.
2: (laughs) No, hell. (laughs) 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 Richard. (laughs) Richard.
1: Uh, that is
0: hilarious now this uh, for this end this end of this podcast here is probably just all the fuel anybody needs to label us ultra douche bro rocky rambo <laughs> happy gilmore for 20 minutes Especially <laughs> and it's just so Rebut powerful and meaningful and oh, Reba just happened not
2: to say anything so I'm sure everybody thinks we oh, probably s- just shoot her talk away. about yeah, <laughs> but hey, Reva, have you have you been able to appreciate and go back to any of the David Spade, Adam Sandler, Chris? Do you know Farley who Chris Farley is? Of?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's what my dad loved to watch, so I gotcha. watched it as a kid gotcha. and stuff too.
2: Awesome, that's a good reminder of how old we are. Awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Richard Rohr. Hey, th- this is an example of an interview, and I've heard this from Matt and Toby already. It's it's the it's the Paul Young type feel where yeah. we're all just pretty enamored. And I know Matt and Toby probably don't resonate as much theologically, but it really is one of those situations where we're just sitting there kind of like, oh my gosh, there's something about this guy. All we want to do is sit and listen. So hopefully we ask some It's good funny, you said too. this
3: off air, Joey, and it's really true. There's something about like a uh, Richard Rohr, uh, all, all, you know, Brian McLaren, McLaren but, Yeah that they're just chill. Like, it doesn't feel like they have a lot of the anxieties that other people
2: do. Like, they just feel more, like, uh, you know, level. But Uh, I will say this. McLaren had to correct me, like, twice. And then I still, at the end of the interview, said the same thing. And I almost feel like, oh, an apology. But I kept kept telling them, like, I mean, you're... It's pretty cool. Like, everything's fine. If Universal is true, everything's fine. He's like, I... I don't think everything's fine, though. It's like (laughs) I think this world is really messed up. (laughs) But, but I do. But, but, but what you're saying, Toby, is even with that information, he's at least completely free with himself. Like he is completely at ease, you know. And that's uh, all right. Let's get to it. I'm, I'm,
0: I want everybody to hear this. Okay, one of my favorite sponsors and our longest sponsor of all time at this point is Tooth and Nail Records, with whom we have a terrific relationship and it's because we have shared interest and we like the same music and you like the same music so we bring you a lot of good stuff right now you're listening to of course demon hunter this song's called unbound and it's a song from their new album war and it's one of demon hunters two new records they put out both of them one's called war the others called peace they came out at the beginning of March if you missed it and they debuted as the number seven and number eight current albums in the country So if you're familiar with Demon Hunter, then you probably already know that they always have elaborate and amazing deluxe editions for every record they do. That's part of just what Ryan Clark does in his graphics and his art design and very well thought through stuff. And this time is no different. The band put out a deluxe book that has both records in it and tons of liner notes. It's got lyrics behind the song, information, as well as extensive photos and artwork. It really is like an amazing collector's item. If you consider yourself a collector that likes tangible, real stuff to go with your music, it's all available at solidstate.merchnow.com. Also, I did a deep dive on some of this music with Ryan on the Labeled podcast, and we were kind of breaking down both records in a long interview, and uh, that turned out really good. You can find that if you go to and subscribe to the Labeled podcast. I won't tell you how. If you can't figure out how to subscribe to a podcast by now, I'm not even going to try to help you. But go buy or stream Demon Hunter's new record, War and Peace, right now or wherever you listen to music.
1: These must be the guys. Hello. All right. Okay, where are we calling to?
2: How are you? We, we are actually in all sorts of different locations. We got oh, one of us in Nashville, one in Seattle, and one in Charleston, South Carolina.
1: Two in you Nashville, be, actually. Yeah. You must be the South Carolina one.
3: <laughs> we all are from <laughs>
2: South Carolina.
3: I'm yeah.
1: hearing a little accent.
2: <laughs> yeah. And how about you? Where are you right well, now? Oh, I
1: grew up in Kansas, but I've been here in New Mexico for 32 years. Yeah, So nice. this is home,
2: yeah. Nice. Well, this, this is a huge challenge for me, because I have literally kept notes in my phone of questions that I've wanted to ask you if we ever got you on the Bad Christian really? Podcast. But here you have this new book, so we're going to concentrate on that, man. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll have I'm, to strike up a deal with you and get you on another time so I can ask you all that other stuff. But Well, I'm hey, honored.
3: I, I, and I want to say, my I, I was talking to my wife just here, uh, right before you hopped on, Richard. And I said, I said, Yeah, we're doing the podcast. I said we have Richard Rohr And she said, Oh, really? Well she said, He this is her words. She said, He's the real deal. <laughs> uh, I wish," she said. "I he, wish," she said. "I think he really lives what he says, and I, oh. get, his, I get his emails, and I love them. So that my wife <laughs> wow. is definitely
1: a follower of your Tell her emails. That makes me very happy. Hey, are you sure. are you aware, Father, that uh, in the you don't have to call me Father, but okay. it's very very polite of you. Go ahead, yes, sir."
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, and you're probably like, and don't call me sir, Southern boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I know you're a Southerner when yeah. you say that. <laughs> but are
2: you aware that, like, in the evangelical culture, which the three of us have been in for most of our lives, if someone said, like, there's a there's a significant sect of evangelicals that when they hear their brother and sister in Christ say, "Yeah, I've been reading Richard Rohr lately." That is a red flag that signals, oh gosh, that person's gone.
1: <laughs> He's going to leave. I know. <laughs> yes. And that's not my desire, but apparently it is happening a lot. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's funny the looks I get because I've been reading, uh, falling upward which is oh, just just blown up paradigms in my head for, oh, for the for the good. You. I've talked a lot to your friend uh Brian McLaren who speaks super highly oh. of you and I've learned a lot from his books and everything. So I I think I would love just to to jump into this whole topic of of Jesus being a or or God universally saving and I'm sure I'm even saying some of this stuff wrong but I this is like an interesting question for me and how how convinced, and I don't even know if you want to put a number on it, but this book that you've come out with, The Universal Christ, you know, basically, in in my own words, it just sounds like everything is gonna be okay because there's a God that loves us. How convinced are you of this?
1: Well, I'm convinced that's the very meaning of the resurrection. Yeah. But our, our big problem was that. Up to now, especially in the Western Church, as you heard me say in the book, we interpreted almost the entire gospel in an individualistic way instead of a historical way, social way, collective way. So I'm not just saying the end is a is a collective, I'm saying sin is a collective too. Do you understand? All of our categories uh are are about the whole. And once you are able to make that transfer, and for you who are evangelical, once you recognize how biblical it is, uh, I think the example I use in the book is the the great covenants, starting with Abraham, with Noah, with David. If you read the text, it's clearly with Israel. It's not with Abraham as a person. It's not with Noah as a person. The whole biblical uh, message is, and the, the prophets as well, are always critiquing Israel. But Western individualistic culture got trapped, and please don't take this in an offensive way, but especially in the last 500 years, in a notion of private salvation. Right. It was all about me being perfect and me being terrible. Yeah. Neither of which can we handle very well? <laughs> right. uh, and I, I I really think that's one of the major reasons so many are losing interest in our wonderful gospel. It just doesn't work, fit, make sense of what's happening in history. Why do, why do you uh, think that yeah. happened? Why, why would, what,
3: what led uh, that, in, in the last 500 years, what led people to think uh, the personal Savior uh, lingo, if that's what you're getting at. What, what, what do you think calls that?
1: Well, no, I'm getting this from Protestant theologians. Uh, the last conference I did when I still traveled was in Switzerland with the Lutheran Church. And, of course, they're the big uh, 16th century rebels against us Catholics. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and they said the doctrine of justification by faith... Paul is not talking about the individual. They said this. He's talking about history, you see? Uh And that history is justified by faith. Uh, Us all trusting in mercy. We're all saved by mercy. We're all sinners. You go back and you read Paul, and he's always talking about the collective. So uh, the biggest single reason... Uh, you were able to read some of the Universal Christ, were yes. you? Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, I mentioned almost at the beginning that notorious date 1054. Yeah. In 1054, the patriarch of Rome, and which we call the Pope, the patriarch of Constantinople, mutually excommunicated one another. Now, once we did that, One was called the Greek Church, one was called the Latin Church. Basically, after 1054, we don't pay any attention to one another. (laughs) We study study the Western Fathers of the Church. Uh, They study the Eastern. And you have to say, it was the Eastern Church that much more understood the whole Gospel message as a collective, you know? that God was saving humanity. And that's why I use the work of John Dominic Crossan in the book, that he charts the same thing in the history of art. And perhaps you remember me talking about that. You look at how the West uh, painted the resurrection, and there's one consistent pattern. It's the lone Jesus standing above the grave, There's angels there, and there's stunned guards sitting there. But it's all about Jesus. Now, I know that sounds good, but you have to read from the 6th century on, you just go to Eastern icons. It's always Jesus pulling Adam and Eve and people out of hell. And it's a collective story. There's a crowd of witnesses all around Jesus on both sides. Do you understand? <laughs> that's a very different message. And now when you read, let's say, 1 Corinthians 15, it all makes sense. Uh, life is not ended. It merely changes. That's
2: so true. That That's the biggest thing, like reading the stuff that you're putting out, I'm like, man, I am actually acting more like a Christian than I've ever acted with these sorts of possibilities in my head. Like, it's oh, the that stuff makes that you're, me so
1: happy! Yeah, oh. the,
2: the the stuff that you're saying that's, hey, the, this stuff is is how things are working. They're still in my head and they're in work mode. I'm like, man, if this if this stuff can be true, it changes everything. Everything, like, I feel like <laughs> I actually can live out the gospel without seeing people as assignments and just love them and not worry <laughs> about you know yeah. where they're gonna. And, and it is, it's just, yeah. I want it to be true so badly and. Well, you know, I, I think
1: I, it's scriptural. It's certainly in the tradition, but I admit more in the eastern tradition. So what in in the first 600 years. Yeah. And uh after the 11th century we paid no attention to them. Well,
2: some of the things that Toby and I have have been brought up in not not only in evangelicalism, but in the South. I mean, Toby grew up with a, a grandfather who was a church of God of prophecy. So church of God was a little uh too liberal is, is, is how hardcore, and <laughs> I was in splint. Pentecostal churches and, and that sort of thing. And so we heard so much about the wrath of God, well, and then they pointed to stuff in the Bible that seemed like wrath of God. I mean, sure, even the New sure. Testament with Ananias and sure. Sapphira Like, are we reading that? Are are we reading depictions of people that didn't have their stuff together and they hadn't figured it out, and they thought Ananias and Sapphira was struck down by God, but it was an actual stomach ache? Or are we like, like, what's going on? Why does it seem like God is so mad and just strikes out at people?
1: I hope this doesn't sound too philosophical, but it has to do with causality that almost all ancient peoples attributed everything to what we call final causality. Now, what we've learned, especially in the last 500 years, after Newtonian physics fell apart, you and I are educated to understand intermediate causality, that your psychological background, your cultural background, your Enneagram number, your temperament, all these other things cause it. But when they saw something go bad, they went to the first and final source, God did it, all right? And when bad things happened, it was the wrath of God. When good things happened, it was the blessing of God. And we got to work with this. Although once you get that notion straight, I mean, like now when I read the scriptures, I just it all works, <laughs> because yeah. I don't attribute everything to final causality. But that's the way almost all people thought, really, until the last 500 years.
2: And so we try when we try to make sense out of God telling His people to destroy all the women and children, you would say, yes. God didn't tell them.
1: No, of course not. You're we right. have one God. That's their own violence, which you... Heard me talk about in the book, Mm -hmm. and uh, they don't want to own, like none of us do, our own faults, so we say God told us to do it. Just like you good evangelicals used to say, the devil made me do it. Well, it was one or the other. The devil (laughs) made me do it, or God made me do it. We, We had no understanding of anthropology, psychology, culture, what I call intermediate causes. And now, I don't have to educate you in this. You already think that way. If you're a, you know, a 21st century person, you re- and that's what's causing so much problem for sincere, educated Catholics and evangelicals that they read these texts where God is pissed off, God is happy, And then you realize we're applying human emotions to the infinite mystery of God, who can't be pulled into human emotionality. But that's the only way you and I know how to talk. But wouldn't people accuse...
2: I'm sure you're accused of the same thing. Well, you just made a God that feels so good to all of us. Like, do people say... Man, that's awesome that you came up with a God that great. <laughs> yeah, like, like, that's super convenient. Like, do people think that you are just coming up with stuff, this stuff from thin air, and you, he can't back it up, sort of thing?
1: Actually, initially, you're right. People raised in the frame of, they've framed everything. Yeah. All of history, retributive justice, quid pro quo, tit for tat. If you framed everything as a giant sports game, a giant business deal, which most Americans have, that's your first thought. Now, if you stay with it and understand it in a more mature, adult way, you, you actually recognize, you know, uh, I don't need to push everything off. Uh, I, what it's calling me to do is own my own complicity And the reason I put it that way is an honest person recognizes this actually asks a lot more of me. It tells me to grow up, to recognize my own faults, my own shadow self, my own violence, my own hatred. I mean, look how hatred has persisted at the highest levels. Well, I'm going to say it. Please forgive me. You know, a religion that can become slaveholder religion. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The form of Christianity that emerged from the southern part of the United States, which is the form of Christianity we've exported to the whole world, um, once you can create a scenario that actually justifies the human keeping of slaves. <laughs> and then using one line in scripture to justify it. Right. You are so far from the revelation of Jesus. Your
2: foundation's bad.
1: <laughs> oh my god. Gosh. I don't know how you can even call it Christianity anymore. Now maybe that's easier for me to say as a Catholic. But I I come from that longer tradition where uh, that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So we first got to get people out of that Quid pro quo. Let me use another hot word. And I know the bad Christians are not afraid of hot words. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: You got us pinned, sir.
1: (laughs) It's spiritual capitalism. That's the frame in which we have interpreted the great gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the way the West operates. And it's very competitive It's very individualistic. So I'm getting back to your earlier question. How did we go so much toward individualism? That was the ascending religion, the ascending culture of Western Christianity. Once we aligned with empire, and here I'm going to critique my own group, we Catholics, after 313... I mean, the reason we're called Roman Catholics, you probably were told this already, is because we align with the Roman Empire. Do you understand? Now, once you have the beautiful gospel of Jesus, just hear the eight Beatitudes. Do you call them that? The Mm -hmm. beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Once you have the eight Beatitudes, I just would like you to place them against the worldview of capitalism. I mean, they're not even in the same ballpark. (laughs) But we had no room for the eight Beatitudes. I'm glad you're not from Texas because I worked in Texas a lot over the years. They're right next door. And I noted one thing after many years that in every county in Texas, I think there's a hundred and some, maybe more than that, uh, they have a, a beautiful courthouse and always on the courthouse grounds are the Ten Commandments. (laughs) They even fight over it. Let's make sure the Ten Commandments are there. And I said to them in one town where our church was actually facing onto the courthouse, and I said, what would you think of putting the eight Beatitudes out there? And they just had this stunned look on their face. It wouldn't be allowed. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed wow. are the peacemakers. That's not te- Texas culture. Well, it's not American culture. So forgive the long answer. No, that's okay. That's the competitive, individualistic reading of the beautiful gospel that uh, put the gospel in a very small frame. And inside of that frame, we understood everything. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, it, it isn't going to work. And you, I guess I talk in the book, I forget what I wrote already, but uh, about the Hubble telescope. <laughs> Once you have the Hubble telescope and you find out the Big Bang was 13.7 billion years ago, and we live in an expanding universe, expanding at a faster rate, we have to have a God as big as that.
2: Yeah,
3: <laughs> right. I wanted to ask you, Richard, because obviously Joey knows you a little bit better than I do. With the, so we uh, we actually had a a Baptist minister on here. Uh, we we interviewed him yesterday for some evangelical stuff. Uh, 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 an evangelist has kind of lost his mind and threatening and doing all this stuff. It doesn't it doesn't seem very Christian again, or it seems pretty American, not very Christian. But uh, when we mentioned it. We were like, yeah, man, we're really excited to have Richard on here. He's like, oh, uh, you guys must be heretics. <laughs> we were well, like, well, I said, I we said, well, maybe I'm... we are. I don't know. Maybe we are. That, <laughs> if you want to say that, that doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> but I was wondering, h- how did you arrive here? I have, I have two questions, and I'll ask the next one in a minute. But uh, th- would 20-year-old Richard think this Richard is a heretic? Like, was this something t- that was always stirring inside of you, or, or were you more uh, hellfire and brimstone?
1: No, I was never that. I was raised a conservative Catholic mm-hmm. in Kansas. You know, couldn't be much more conservative than that. Yeah. But it wasn't the angry conservatism we have today. Yeah. It wasn't the dualistic. It was just sort of a pious, you know, aren't we nice? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and we try to be nice. And for the most part, we were. I never heard an anti-Protestant sermon my whole life. Uh, it, it, we just were sure we were right and going to heaven, and we felt sort of sorry for all of you. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but then when I got out of that enclave, I recognized everybody else was the same way. Yeah. So I started conservative, but then I was lucky enough to be studying both philosophy and theology under the Franciscans and in the 1960s. My life was just perfectly placed historically yeah. because I started conservative in the 40s and 50s. Then when the whole system blew up in the 1960s and I had hair down to my shoulders then, it was precisely <laughs> when... Did you smoke a little weed once in a while? (laughs) Well, it wasn't even big then. We didn't didn't have that. (laughs) We had other things, but not that. So um, (laughs) what should I say? So because I joined the Franciscans, and we were always sort of, I mean, we were called, you probably don't know this, but the first Protestants. You know, Francis wasn't really... A big flag-waving Roman Catholic. He he was an alternative kind of Catholic, which is exactly why when Pope Francis took the name Francis, it was such a scandal to most of the Catholic world for the ultimate establishment figure to take the ultimate non-establishment name, do you see? So that was our position on so many things the atonement theory, we didn't emphasize verbal orthodoxy, we didn't deny orthodoxy, but our big thing was lifestyle orthodoxy, what you and I probably call orthopraxy, not what do you believe about the Trinity, and we just accepted all the mainline doctrines of Catholic Christianity, but we didn't waste a lot of time there, if I can say that. Yeah. We put our time into, are you living simply? Are you making peace? You know, we were closer to the Quakers and the Mennonites of the 13th century. Do you understand? So because I was formed in that tradition, it wasn't hard for me to move forward. Yeah, And now I have the advantage, if I can dare to say so, I'm about to turn 76. I just have a certain seniority. You hear from my book how I quote the saints and the councils and the fathers of the church and even popes. Now, once you do that inside the Orthodox and Catholic world, they pretty much are hands off. Do you understand? Mm, (laughs) Really. You can't be touched because they know that you know the tradition, the big tradition. Yeah. And it's exactly what you were trained to do in quoting scriptures you had to show your lineage to show that it wasn't just your idea. Yeah. yeah. And, and the <laughs> so only true. advantage we Catholics have is, I hope this doesn't offend you, but we didn't limit our source to sola scriptura. We included tradition with a big T, the big tradition. We included experience. And so our bandwidth of authority was more than sola scriptura
2: yeah now real real quick why do evangelicals or fundamentalists why do they feel like where they're getting where are they getting their source from for them to say you just You're an affront to God because you basically just minimized His word. That's the word of God. You're judging the word of God. Like, where are they getting this from? Why do they feel like that's a justifiable argument against you?
1: You're talking about me. I'm saying they would say that about me. They would say that about you. Or
2: universalism, maybe.
1: Uh, Yeah, like, like, like. (laughs) I get you. Listen, the first thing I say. And it's always evangelicals. I can tell by the the tone in their voice. They'll come up at me and they'll say, are you a universalist? And they they think that's a bad word. And I say, yeah, I am. I'm a Catholic. And do you know what the word Catholic means? And of course, they don't. It means universal. And that was taken in the year 108 by St. Ignatius of Antioch, one of our martyr saints... And he says this new religion is going to be a universal religion. And that's what I talk about in this book. It's going to be a Catholic religion. So the Greek word Catholic meant universal. Um, So I don't get criticized as much by Catholics as I do by evangelicals. Now, on the same side, my biggest demographic, I'm told by at least one of my publishers, is evangelicals. Yeah, evangelicals yeah. hate me the most, and they read me the most. So, <laughs> I guess I should be very grateful. Yeah, yeah Well, well, I uh, think
3: it's interesting what you were saying there. It's something that, that you were pointing out even before that. The idea of uh, I do believe, like I, like Joey said, I grew up in a very small, very charismatic. Uh, church, you know, it was kind of in, in the backwoods. It was speaking in tongues uh, evidence of the Holy Spirit? Was you had to speak I in speak tongues in
1: tongues, if you'd like to know. All right, I, I had a whole Pentecostal period. But really?
3: On. Okay. Oh, no, so Yes. I, that, that's yes. what I grew up and and well, mine was a it's little real. Yeah, it's I, true. I I've mm-hmm. spoken in tongues for real too, but at a young age, it was forced upon me because they said sure. if you don't, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. So I faked it because I uh, my sure. paul <laughs> my grandpa was the pot, the pastor. But I think you're right to an extent. I love that 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 concept of uh, not only sola scriptura and uh, ev- evangelicalism seems to have diminished the power and the aspect of God with us and what we are able to create, what we're able to do, how we're able to grow, and that being an important aspect of our faith and 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 influencing our culture even with the, ex- the experience of God, because when it's diminished so much to like, I mean family members of mine, uh, friends of mine are, you know, the scripture is literal. And if you don't believe it, then you're wrong. And, and there's going to be real punishment for you. And the, so then my only recourse then is to either agree with them. And so that me or disagree, like I, I'm, there's no conversation no. to be had. And no, it, it, no it, it's frustrating because you're right. Why would it be? Okay. Well, of course we have the Bible and it is beautiful and it is so impactful and we need to be studying it and changing our thoughts and realizing new thoughts or whatever it might be or, or learning old old aspects that have remained true but it does diminish the the actual uh, circle we can have of what God could be I think like it, it then then it really is are we believing in God or just this book over here like that's a, what a lot good, of my, yeah. I, I'm worried about my family a lot because that book is just oh well this book I am like yeah. wait what are we talking about god or the book and maybe they're maybe they're one in the
1: same but at least we, I can't even have no, that conversation not. no they're not to make anything less than god god is to create an idol yep and in oh, in judaism there is really only one sin idolatry now what the ego wants more than anything else is certitude it doesn't want truth can you make feel the difference between truth and certitude, people confuse the two. The ego wants to be right. Why? Because that puts you in control. Now, that's what fundamentalists can't see. They don't, I'm not saying this as a universal statement, (laughs) but the search is not really for Jesus or love. It's for control and certitude. And that's why they hang on to it so feverishly. I, I think I say in the book, In the same decades, in the middle of the 19th century, when we decided the Pope was infallible, is when you decided, forgive me for saying you, uh, that the Bible was inerrant. We got along for 1,900 years without an infallible Pope and without an inerrant Bible. I mean, Augustine in the 4th century already said there's at least four levels of interpretation to every text. Wow. Maybe as many as eight. So, you you know, fundamentalism actually regressed, regressed. But it was because we started feeling so stupid around the rational, secular universities of Europe and America, the smart people stopped taking us seriously. And so we wanted to appear smart, we found our own sources of certitude. You did it in the Bible, and we did it in the church. But we were both committing the same sin. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. It
2: does. It does. No. Can, can you speak for God real quick?
1: <laughs>
2: what? Like Seriously, I think about if, if, if Richard Rohr is, is right was it hard for god to let us get so ridiculously off track for so long I know, like
1: i wonder that yeah
2: like is is that and and i thought i was like you know maybe if i put myself in his shoes and let's just say Uh, My, I have to watch my kids be super disappointed because they thought they are going to Disney World, and I just told them, hey, we had a huge medical emergency. We don't have the money. But I know in 30 minutes they're going to find out that that's not the case. And so (laughs) I'm watching them for 30 minutes be so sad, and it breaks my heart. And I'm like, oh, they're so disappointed. But I'm totally fine with it because in 30 minutes I know the joy that's going to be on their face. I mean, could it be something like that to where – you know, to God, a, a day's like a thousand years, and he sees all this chaos, all yeah. this mess, and people killing in his name, and he's like, well, in no time, know, everybody's going to see that it's okay, and the nation of Israel is going to be praying over Hitler in, in heaven. I mean, <laughs> do, 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 like, do you think that's, that could possibly be why he can stomach seeing all this mess?
1: You're going in the right direction. Whoever this God is, and remember, God is always mystery. The human mind cannot understand any concept of infinity or eternity. We Mm. basically close off and we pull it down into our little finite mind and our little closed experience. So whatever God is, whoever God is, what the great tradition concluded is all we can say for sure is that this God is loyal and faithful to love. Now, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. I, I call him in my earlier books, God is the great allower who must, after being love, God must be very, very humble, very, very patient. I mean, if it's true that the Big Bang was 13.6 billion years ago, what was God doing (laughs) for 13.6 billion years? Right. Seeing dinosaurs eating one another and uh, whatever else. You know, six mass extinctions on this globe. It's beyond our comprehension. But what the pattern is, is order as you saw me say or heard me say at the beginning of the book, combined with disorder, and when you can put order together with a certain degree of disorder, you've got what we Catholics call the Paschal Mystery, Mm -hmm. or what we celebrated in the body of Jesus as death and resurrection. When you can put death, death and resurrection together and let them operate as one, i think you're in to reorder that's enlightened christian consciousness but what the way you put it is i mean i've had to struggle with this all my life who is this god who is so inefficient right <laughs> i mean and you know 2000 years since jesus is a you know a drop in time right <laughs> it's nothing and now again, I don't understand why God allowed Christians to kill one another and Jews to kill Canaanites and and the Holocaust to happen. I'm going to ask him her that question as soon as I get there, yeah. whatever there is. And I don't know. Well, well I don't speaking, know.
3: speaking of him or her or God is what? Yes, I, I I don't know if you. I mean, for the listeners that that don't know you that well, uh. It, what do you actually believe? Do you like do you believe that Jesus uh is God or have you moved past oh, that? Of course.
1: Is that uh, No. Is, it, you didn't read the book, or you know. The... <laughs>
3: I feel I knew I knew you were going
1: to answer that question that way, but but oh, I'm saying but but a lot okay.
3: of a lot of folks would say, well, if you think God is a woman, like even if that's a possibility, oh. you you're way off. Or like what what is the tenets you're following here? Uh, hey, hey, in, Toby, in real,
2: real quick after after he's fielding our question, he's being inspired to write a children's version of this. Right. He's, <laughs> like, he's like, damn, I got to write a children's uh, yeah, version. Yeah, I'll, of this. I'll read that All one right.
3: too.
1: <laughs> see, we. Well, the thesis of my whole book is after the first 2,000 years, we got Jesus fairly well. We really didn't get even Jesus very well. I mean, how did we create slaveholder religion? Right, right. We were still in kindergarten understanding of Jesus. Huh? But most of us never knew anything about the Christ. Now, so to say Jesus is masculine is correct. But to say Christ is masculine is incorrect. The Christ is beyond gender. Gender is a human category. Yeah. And, And do you see how this broadens the whole scope of our, even our gender fights? Right. About who's better. Once we know that the Christ is beyond gender, then all gender shapes are incorporated into the mystery of the universal Christ.
3: That is such a good point when you talk about using language like image bearers.
1: Well,
3: it, very it, good. I mean, that, that you're making a great point that I've never thought of in my life before. When we say really? uh, the churches I grew up in always said you're an image bearer of God, but it's always referred to in the masculine God in the masculine. But what uh, that oh, I mean, I even see. if you just believe in two genders, you, you've already lost the battle and it caused an argument somewhere.
1: God, you're smart. Well, you know, just to assure <laughs> nice. yourselves and to even assure your people who are listening. I, I I hope this doesn't sound like bragging, but I am still in total good standing with the Catholic Church, all right? Yeah. Because they know what I'm saying is orthodox. Yep. And if it helps, the last time I was sitting here yesterday on the phone, I was being interviewed by the Cardinal Archbishop of New York City. Oh, wow. And he said, now he's no liberal by any means, but he said, I know, Richard, people are already calling you a heretic. He said, I have my PhD in church history, and let me tell you, you are not a heretic. Oh, uh, man. So, I, I, now and I know that probably doesn't carry a lot of weight with evangelicals, but inside my own great tradition... They know what I'm saying is scriptural, traditional, and both Catholic and Orthodox. But it just never made its way down to the normal church on the corner, right. either Catholic or Protestant. We, we just, we sort of, I, I, this sounds demeaning. I don't mean it demeaning, but we gave most of our people what I'm going to call fast food gospel. It was just something that was easy to take down, like pablum, good guys go to heaven, bad guys go to hell. Everybody yep. likes that scenario, you Yeah, know? Yeah. It's actually low-level morality. There's no notion of mercy, compassion, forgiveness, Redemption. grace, yeah. which is what God's all about. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even need God for this equation. It's a bad novel. It really is. Yeah. It's a bad storyline.
3: I love the idea of universalism in the sense of that redemption that everybody could be redeemed like like you said earlier everybody has sinned or is a sinner and yet if the yeah. the goal of God would be to redeem everybody not to condemn to redeem. And, and and that is biblical. The Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. And so I I think that is, that is super attractive to me. Now my evangelical roots tell me, wait a minute, but, go but ahead, what go about, ahead. what about justice? What about like, uh, All like right. Ma- Matthew 28 where uh, Jesus himself says he has the power to, uh, destroy the soul. Uh, like, like stuff like that I, makes me, I go, wait a minute. So it is God going to destroy it. It, is God's goal redemption for everybody? Is that my is, is that my own morality um, getting in the way of like my morality? My, my go ahead. I'm sorry. Is to
1: redeem history, and all of us are caught up in the wake of that. St- uh, try not to keep seeing it as he's bad. I want him to puni- be punished. Yeah. You know, the real living symbolism of this is the life of Jesus. Just so you all think, I'm not downplaying Jesus. What is most of Jesus' lifestyle? Healing, 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 healing. That's just about all he does. Yeah. Now, I want you to hear the word healing in contradistinction to punishing. Jesus punishes nobody. Now, do we have two different Jesuses? <laughs> That's what we've got. Right, Though Jesus in this world who healed non-Jews, eunuchs, uh, Romans who were his oppressors, uh, he just breaks all the rules to heal. But after the resurrection, apparently he got real pissed off. And he decided to stop healing people. And he said, you know, I'm going to change my agenda. I'm going to start punishing people.
2: He gets a tattoo. It just
1: doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. And the very people who said they loved the scriptures so much, I I guess I'm looking at it as a Catholic, but it is why we were never impressed by people who quoted the Bible so much. Because these very people who quoted the Bible, again and again we saw were racist, were sexist, were homophobic, were classist we're materialistic, we're militaristic. All five Yeah. were the Bible lovers. So forgive me, I I was not impressed.
3: No, I think you're right. It was an agenda. They would use the Bible for
1: their agenda. Don't waste my time anymore. Now, I'm not saying we Catholics were better, but the very people who said they loved the Bible, it just didn't impress us very much. Because they used the Bible to support... I'll I'll pick on one of your states, South Carolina culture. You know? And let's start being That's honest. That's such a low-hanging fruit here now. <laughs> Very low-hanging, yes. Yeah. We all did it. We Catholics did it the same. We had Boston Irish Catholic culture, you know? Yeah. Whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, it's like you, this book,
2: it really opens the possibility of for like for example, a, a huge theme is that love is the very meaning. well, if if you see world in the dualistic way that that I've always seen it and what I mean by that personally right now is the people that haven't accepted Christ, they can't be with him forever, the people that have accepted Christ they they can well, then love just ceased to be the meaning because now we've got this pressure on us to yes. make sure we get the good news out because who how dare we call ourselves Christ followers if we're not also telling people the horrible truth about where they might end up and it's like <laughs> wait a second i i can't really just focus on love because no, there's so much pressure and there's such an agenda you and it's can't. like if if this stuff is true like it just the door is wide open for us to truly do the the two greatest commandments, just love God and love others. And And it's like all of a sudden I can really be what I've always taught a Christian is (laughs) like, I've always taught. Okay. Christian is about loving and God's grace and all this stuff. But then because of all the other stuff I was taught, it's like, well, yeah, that that doesn't all work together.
1: (laughs) You can't put those two worlds together. In a, a crude way, but we created a filter that attracted people who were still narcissistic totally self-interested, oh, and it was the most well-disguised narcissism possible. Wow. We, we were just seeking long-term fire insurance. You know, there's nothing heroic about buying long-term fire insurance. You don't have to be a loving person. You don't have to care about black people or poor people. In fact, you can hate them. <laughs> but you've decided for Jesus, whatever that... Transactional word is supposed to mean. But once you understand the Christ the way I hope I'm biblically describing the Christ, then to give yourself to Christ is to give yourself to the moment, to the matter right in front of you. Right? Yeah. To the material universe right in front of you. I don't care if it's black, I don't care if it's gay. I don't care if it's anything. It's the whole world is clearly the body of Christ. What else could it be? What else could it be? Yeah. I'm, we call ourselves monotheists. We believe in one God who created all things. Okay. If you're both fathers, you know that your little children carry your DNA. That's right. a certitude, right? Right. Now, if we are the children of God, which you and I both believe, and that that childhood was not created by pouring water over your head, the, the <laughs> water, the water ritual was just to say, "Wake up! Yeah. You're a child of God." You know, but you were a child of God, as Ephesians one says three times: you were chosen in Christ from the beginning. So in my Franciscan school, Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 were our primal texts for our Christology. So that's why what I'm saying now is what I've been waiting all my life to have the authority to say. That we need a personal Jesus together with a universal Christ. And when you have both, You have the best of both worlds. Wow. And we can put those two together. Still, that beautiful personal love for Jesus that you Baptists and Evangelicals have and and Pentecostals. You put us Catholics to shame. But very often, you've known nothing about the universal Christ. And I think that's what's kept you in such a small pond, yeah what allowed you without knowing it to remain racist classist militaristic <laughs> materialistic uh and homophobic and you know the millennial generation just sees right through it yeah M- not all of them but more and more of them yeah
2: so uh universalchrist.cac.org how a forgotten reality can change everything we see, hope for, and believe came out yesterday. But this this website is unbelievable for people to watch little videos, see kind of the snapshot of how you laid this stuff out, uh, who inspired uh, the the book, and all of that. I mean, and and you you've said for sure that this, in your opinion, is your most important work to date. Correct?
1: You know, I I say all my previous books were building up to this one. Yeah. Uh, Because all my major themes are in this one. And, uh, you know, you have a certain going for broke when you're 76. You just, I have (laughs) nothing to prove. I don't make any money off of this. I'm a Franciscan. It all goes elsewhere. So if I don't go for broke now, for what I believe the gospel has always been saying, when am I going to do it? Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, so All I right. do.
1: I believe it's my most important book.
2: All right, <laughs> I'm excited to read the whole thing probably a few times. Um, just just dipping my feet in the water so far, it's just uh, I know it's going to be probably the most impactful. Like you, you and Brian McLaren right now are two of the premier guys that are speaking into my life honestly from afar just through reading your stuff, and it's like cool water on a mm-hmm. On a hot was, summer Charleston was, buggy day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was here with me last week.
2: Yeah. Brian. Yeah. What so, a so,
1: wonderful man. Yeah.
2: yeah. So we need you to uh, iron out something uh, for us before sure. you go. These guys go have ahead. been heckle- these guys have been heckling me for a long time <laughs> only because I've presented this as a question. Now they think I'm like some hornball here. So basically <laughs> the question that I presented was it doesn't seem to make logical sense that we were created as sexual beings from the very beginning, and then all of a sudden, wherever we're at forever, we just don't have any sort of sexuality whatsoever because there's no marriage, and if there's no marriage, then there's no sex and all that stuff. And it just just (laughs) didn't line up, but I didn't know any other solutions, and nobody else would really uh, engage in this sort of conversation. And then I saw where you actually... Endorsed, uh, shameless. Couldn't put it down. She's just an unbelievable author, and and she the really truth that she was, uh, you know, uncovering it. You know, if it is, but it's just such a culture shock for me. But it seems like her approach to sex in general, and we can't get into it right now. It would make no sense at all for sex not to be a part of our eternal identity or w- how we operate just because Richard, that was Richard, Joey God's just wants to know if plan. he can get laid in heaven. That's what, he really
3: wants to, that's what he really wants to know. Is that possible? Can you give him the answer he's looking for? But it's such
2: an interesting question. What do you think about sex or right? sexuality? Let's,
1: let's make a distinction between sex... I sound like a Jesuit, I know. Uh, let's make a distinction between sexuality and genitality. Yeah. Sexuality is forever. And let's just call that the the erotic drive toward connection, toward communion, toward intimacy. We will be sexual beings forever. I say that somewhere in the book. I mean, the attraction of everything toward everything is the nature of the universe. Now, physicists would say that. But uh, what most people do is confuse genitality with sexuality they're really not the same thing that was supposed to mean uh, what we Catholics understood as this strange vow of celibacy that we took we were supposed to help people understand you can be erotic sexual without being genital You can be intimate, loving, caring, touching, without it moving toward intercourse. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. And once you make that distinction, it works. And of course, I have older couples my age who tell me that all the time. You know, there's little interest in intercourse. (laughs) It's all just, I want to walk down (laughs) the street with her. I I want to... uh, once your testosterone lowers and estrogen in the woman, it, your your genitalia mean less and less. Uh, forgive me for being so blunt. Now we're all about. Once you understand blunt. it that way, you can see why Jesus says in heaven there will be no marriage or giving in marriage, because that's too individualistic. But your wife, those you've loved in your life, your children, they are the school. Of eternal love. I'm sure you'll always be bonded to them. But that very tenderness you felt toward your children and your wife, I would like to believe, and I do believe, you're going to feel toward everybody. <laughs> yeah. That, if that's not heaven, what else would heaven be? And that's certainly anyway. beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Does but, that help? Yeah. It, it does. does. It, 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 yeah,
3: we finally—now we can shut you up, Joey. I think that's a way better answer. I think that's actually really beautiful. You're right. I love that idea, too, of uh, sexuality being beautiful and shared and not just yes. this uh, that's outcome of physicalness. Like, it's yes. so much broader than that, just, just like what we have been talking about with faith and stuff. You know, I wish and
1: if I can say this, not to please the feminists, but I think because men did most of the preaching and our preoccupation with what you just called outcomes— it, it made us understand sexuality that way. Yeah. And here, I think healthy women have an awful lot to offer us in understanding intimacy, relationship, yeah. tenderness, that doesn't have to drive toward sexual release. Not right. that that's wrong, but it's not the whole picture. It really isn't. Yeah. And elders understand that. When you're in your 20s, you usually can't. Right. (laughs) And God must know that.
2: Yeah, yeah. God must so, be
1: patient with us. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, Richard, hopefully, people didn't lead you to believe you're going to be talking to like a Rachel Held Evans or a Pete Inns uh, sort of intellects that you, you kind of had to <laughs> stoop really low and make it no, easy for us. Oh, <laughs> no.
1: Well, you've been delightful. Delightful. Well, we certainly appreciate your time. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we, well,
3: we, we appreciate your time and thank you so much for, like I said, I'm learning a lot. A, a, a lot of this is new to me. Uh, I, I love the idea of this broader gospel and this God that is, uh, about redemption. That is, feels so right in my heart. That, that is a God that I, that I feel like, uh, is father, mother to child. Like that, that I can see that. I feel that I, I, I desire that. So I appreciate it, uh, once again, Joey, can we tell them, or, or, or Richard, can you tell them where to find the book?
2: Uh, yeah, I, and and I and I want to say one more thing too, and you've probably been told this by many people, but there are a lot of folks, whether they admit it or not, who, and this probably isn't something you want to hear, but we, we're taking our cues from the sort of stuff that you're discovering in your relationship with God, and there's so many people that are so Thankful to have had people like you who've you've already asked these questions, you've already studied ahead of us. And so you are offering us a different way of seeing things because the old way was not working. So I, I wow. just want to give you a sincere thanks yeah. uh, for being there for me through writing Thank books you. and speaking online and,
1: and all of that sort of thing. The good news has to be good news. Right. and and i don't know why people don't want it to be
2: yeah except for
1: <laughs> for just themselves or their tribe personal uh, good, or good their news gender right gender whatever yeah so it's good the news universal for christ all the people all the people yeah right universal you, christ,
2: universalchrist.cac.org uh great website to look through and just i mean go ahead and read. and here's here's what i would love it is if people whose minds are already made up against this concept you you're the exact person that needs to read it to help the conversation because w- the, the conversation is more play. beautiful when people are asking oh. questions and are pushing back yes. because that's where the truth is 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 yes. humans trying to figure this stuff out together so Thank everybody you. I'm going to quote
1: this. you on that yeah there you <laughs> go we need you to be a part of the conversation yeah. beautiful hey, if, Think if you if are... you quote me I, I'm just I'll die a happy man <laughs> Richard <laughs> Bull <Broke laughs> quoted me guys if
2: y'all go on his website you'll see where yeah. he quoted joey Spencer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now think how different our politics would be if we think the way you just thought thank you right thank you right
3: thank you so much richard for your time we really do appreciate today hopefully we can My have you back in the privilege. future we'd love to have you back and have i got a million more questions for you if you ever have the time so thank you <laughs> God so much
1: bless you both thank you thank you you too bye thanks bye. richard
2: bye-bye bye now
0: Okay. Richard Rohr, oh, no. I I guess. Matt, where'd you come is- from? Well, I'll tell you. I will tell you the, the tone of the podcast will now change. So we'll just go ahead and embrace that. But holy fucking shit, that was amazing. You liked it? Yes. Oh my gosh, that was so good. That was my favorite podcast ever that I've been a part of, and I wasn't a part of it, which is part of why it was beautiful. Let me tell you. You're
2: just saying that. No, you're I'm making not. me and to me. Toby feel so no, good.
0: No, and stop and, and, it. And don't don't take this away from me. I'll tell you my situation. I'm just kidding. So I've been, <laughs> Have I've you been, met you guys? Ryan? Stop Have you been crying? I, I probably can get there in a minute if you let me talk. Um, I was on, I was on the whole call here, but I was muted. I'm on I'm on my mobile with my recorder because I I had to do a pickup of Georgia in a little bit, so I'm not in the studio. And I was muted and blacked out on the screen, and I didn't really. Want, I just knew that Joey had all the questions here, and I didn't want to take that time, and I didn't want to pop in and freak out at the 70 year old man with a new person that he didn't hear right. from the beginning or anything. And it was going so well that I had this really amazing opportunity to listen to that like a listener and watch it and know that at any moment I can talk, which is the experience of podcasting. You're listening thinking, I wish I could chime in or whatever. And knowing that I was on a Skype call with Richard Rohr and that, you know, I'm looking at the screen. I even took a screenshot of it, of the four of y'all, Richard and Reva and Toby yeah. and Joey. And it was just, I, I just had just, just an experience I can't even describe. It was just so wonderful and meaningful and all that stuff. Wow. Like, look at my friends and I'm <laughs> on a call with Richard Rohr in 2019 and I don't even need to talk or carry the, you know, like it, it was like me not talking was actually part of the thing that I love so much, you know, because wow. I talk too much. You know what I mean? And when you are in the presence of somebody like Richard Rohr, it's like, wow, I wish I could be like that. This is yeah. so good and meaningful. And it made me look at all y'all. I'll sh- I'll share the screenshot in the club. It's like, wow, what, what, this is so amazing. It just made me—I don't know—gratitude and thankful and all this crazy stuff. But I've just been smiling my ass off for the last forty-five minutes, enjoying that genuinely. It was amazing.
3: Good Lord, Matt. I actually really enjoyed it too. Like, like I said, I—I I don't know uh, Brian McLaren or Richard Rohr like you do, Joey, uh, at all. Yeah. And I do felt—I felt like I was learning something. And I—I I just appreciate when somebody is it Just has a joyful uh, aura about them, and like it, it, like it, his aura and the way he's living his life, he really means it. it, it you, I, I mean, there's no, no there's no, there's no faking that what he just did. He can't, he nope. can't fake it. The authenticity was there. So at least I have to, no matter what he's saying, when people just. Uh, you know, just uh, ridicule him or uh, assign him as a heretic or whatever. I was, I was just sitting there going, man, you cannot deny this authenticity. Wow. Why would this guy be so authentic about this? And, and I, I, yeah. I actually realized a lot of things that I don't know in this world, when somebody's being authentic, I, it really wakes me up to, wait a minute, hold on. I, this is real here. What, what, yeah. what? it's not about me agreeing or disagreeing this is a real chance to learn something I I, but I mean that was he's really so cool.
0: present and all that stuff oh like, yeah oh so it's like holy shit I hope when I'm 70 I can be that way why can't I be this way regardless of what he believes or if he disagrees I don't care I almost don't care although right. I love the stuff he was saying is very spiritually helpful for me but it's like why the fuck can't I be nice to everybody like he is I don't know <laughs> why I can't I know will I be hey, able to uh, one day if I work at it like will I be able to be that right Aware and present and uh, grateful and demonstrate my feelings to others and be sincere. Can I? Will I be able to do that one? (laughs) That's what I'm thinking.
1: So Uh.
2: you you guys can really heckle the hell out of me right now. But y'all know. So the most preposterous thing that God's ever told me, in my opinion, is that the Green Bay Packers are going to win the Super Bowl. I think God has told me. (laughs) Oh Lord! Here we go. I think God has told me. Personal Jesus here. That that Richard Rohr, is definitely in the top three people who figured it out the most accurately. And I don't know, (laughs) I promise you, I really feel like like there's been like a, hey, pay attention to this dude because he's closest... To, to discovering what I'm really like <laughs> than anybody else, and I tr- and and I don't care if anybody says God didn't tell you that. Well, I it is a little did. bizarre. He couldn't have just told you <laughs>
3: number one. He had to,
0: he only
2: hey top three, Joey. Hey, this I'm is God. Let me two. tell you. Let me give you a. Top I just wasn't discerned enough. I I didn't hear. He was trying to tell me. <laughs> the, I mean, but but Richard
3: God would love to know, two two know two if he's number two those.
0: or one. He's no, top like three, but Richard didn't even get that. No, it's like a reality show for Joey. When he turned 41 years old, he w- it was revealed to him, number three. When he was 50 years old, number two. And, just b- <laughs> and number I, one's I, coming I, at some point. Like
3: you it. know what I felt was, it, it felt like one of those moments where I, I, we were having a conversation with somebody with real, uh, a real desire to learn, a real hope for people. It felt very similar to the Paul Young who wrote the Shaq interview. On, on the, you know, we did yep. what a year, I don't know how long it's been. That I got that same feeling, and, and maybe that is, I mean, there's a use universalist list, uh, theme there, maybe even a uh, connection, but I there is something about that story of redemption and that the gospel is the good news. He's right. I'm, I, and like some of the things he's saying, I, I can't just, just discard it as well. Yeah, but some people, justice, what about justice? Like real justice would be redemption, right? Like, wait a minute. In spite of all this, you will be redeemed. You will realize what... The, I mean, he, he's not denying sin. He's not denying all these things. What he's saying is a God that would w- desire us and redeem us. And even with all that hope and joy and, and good feelings I have, the, the that old Pentecostal pops up in my hand and goes, yeah, I don't know. Weren't you warned
2: about people like this? Like, they... I mean, what inhale real and and that's it that's called you know? that's called your inner fundamentalist is what Brian McLaren calls that that it is a voice that says whoa 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 this you're in trouble here I know like, but I mean I no still can,
3: I wish we had more time I I don't know if I got an answer for you know about the wrath of God I don't I don't know if I got an yeah. answer for is the soul eternal when Jesus says he can destroy it. And might, you know, yeah, uh, I mean,
0: but, but all those things, things, I mean, I'm, those I'm not saying that might I even be ag- technicalities there. You might be I right.
3: Was, I agree. I, that's why I didn't push it. Cause it might just be something, it, it, I don't know if that would have advanced our conversation. That's why I didn't yeah, want to push but, those
0: things. But more importantly, of course, too good to be true, always be skeptical of. And of course you can right. tell people what they want to hear and they'll like it. Now right. that's the background though. We all know every woo woo, uh, self-help, everything like that exists. Of course we know you can tell people what they want to hear and they'll believe you. However, that does not seem to be what he is at this position for what type of, I mean, he's more credible than those things. This stands out from those things typically and maybe that's just me. But, I mean, I'm not often entranced by people telling me what I want to hear. And I'm not even that interested in the details of, oh, so tell me what heaven's like or not. or I don't, ca- I don't even care right. about that stuff. His disposition and reframing and broader view obviously seem like the product of wisdom uh, yeah. compiled from many people over time through one man uh, who is genuine and sincere? So there's at least a great deal of that disposition and wisdom that is got that completely resonates in the right direction. Right. More than it is, he's the person that knows all the answers to stuff. That's not even the most important part about it. I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know we're talking about universal Christ right now, but I'm telling you, the the falling upward book, in my opinion, is. Is so critical for guys that are seeking spiritual things and are the age that we are. Like it is so unbelievably helpful to that closing of the chapter of we kept getting older and older and or or, you know, and and now we're like old and we're winding down. And it's like this gives you Uh language to here's how you should be seeing life by now. And unfortunately, most humans never arrive at this, but you got the second half now to start. And the the premise of the book is you can't manipulate it to figure it out. So hopefully you and guy can work this thing out together so you can have different lenses, but it is just, it's, it's unreal. It was a great conversation. And, uh,
3: one of the reasons we get to do this conversation is because of the BC club. It is, uh an awesome organization as well. Can we call it an organization? Uh it a, collect- organized. a col- an organized collective of uh people I'm already to- an empire, Toby. Want to already experience at empire. the truth. They want to experience the truth, don't they? Yeah they do. And and they help make this all possible. We cannot be here without uh funding. Uh, like we can't be here. Like it like it it's that real. And also we love that we get to do this and that folks get to help us do it. Uh, The BC Club has honestly become one of the most important things to all of us uh, just because it's people that are wanting to find the truth and figure out life and all kinds of things. So if you're not a part of the BC Club, you should join today. Try it for a month, try it for a year, try it for the rest of your life. Uh, It helps this podcast. It helps us get great guests like Richard Rohr and to do things even more uh expand all of our brains maybe uh so Joe, you got any names we can read of clubbers that uh, have basically just been uh the like they're basically mini richard roars is what yeah I call yeah them. for sure and to... i
2: and i do want to point out i think we should be a little more vulnerable and open on this podcast the reason why i read these names is because toby is not a good reader at all and oh I, the
3: old I, joy would have said a derogatory word about people <laughs> i know you would have used that against me i know you would have like... said something terrible <laughs>
0: <laughs> Joe, uh, you're such a great reader, and Toby, your jokes are so funny. <laughs> Cody Ish, Marcus, both wonderful.
2: Marcus Morales, Cassie Scott, John Croll, Joshua Crawford, Zach Garza, Jonathan Cunningham, Clay Samuel, hey, Samuel Bennett.
0: Bennett.
2: <laughs> Can I do
3: this? Please let me do it just for the names. Please do. All right. No, you keep saying. I want to just imitate your voice
2: while you say them. I'm going to try to say the names without you saying anything. Okay. Timothy Faber. Lee Siemens. Lee Simons. Alex Field. Field. Andrew, Andrew Rivera, Rivera. Hayden Core. Doug- Douglas oh,
3: S. Douglas <laughs> S. Manzone.
2: Manzone. John Hopkins. Wait. This dude's last name is Manzone? What the hell? Uh, That's awesome. <laughs> Doug Manzone. I, mean, yeah. I love that. Good gosh. I, we almost just flew right by that one. The Manzone. Man. Chris Magden, Seth Cagle. That's better than
3: and-
0: Cave, really.
2: Andrea Reeves, Dustin Penicillin.
0: I was hoping you'd say pe-
2: Penicillin. I thought you were going to say <laughs> Penicillin. I'm sure
0: he got Justin that his whole
2: life. Justin Hudacek. These yep. guys have joined the bc club and uh man we had a really i I thought we had a really good conversation recently on the bc club i don't know if the episode's out or not but just kind of how we see this show and and matt's a little uneasy with 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 just how things have oh you mean oh you mean all
3: the bonus episodes that the the club (laughs) only gets we were talking on one of those
2: yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Totally. yeah, yeah. The, the club only some, gets those
3: bonus episodes.
2: So. Yeah. Some major changes that the cl- the only the club will will yeah. listen to. Just kind of like the philosophy behind our show and some things that we're just not willing to relinquish. It doesn't matter how many people are are pushing back on our work. We're they're close handed issues. You say okay. uh, relinquish?
0: Relinquish. Yeah.
2: Relinquish.
0: <laughs> just let it go. I like. I love the way you put it, uh, Joey.
2: Hey, I will say this: Would you guys have been able to not click on this email when we were talking? I got an email from uh, Vanilla Ice's manager, and she's open <laughs> to a podcast. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, hi, Joey. Thank you for your reply. We can look at a podcast. Please let me know what how, you mu- have how in much. How much of the words do y'all know right now? All right, stop.
3: Collaborate and listen. Priscilla Ice is back with thing. my brand new invention. Something well, grabs a hold of me tightly, fold like a harpoon, daily and nightly. Would it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll vote. I could do the whole song. Isn't that well, weird that the only rap song that I know all the words to is Vanilla well, Ice? That says well, I, a, I, does that say a I lot about me, know, <laughs> unfortunately? I, not, I, I didn't plan it that way. I
0: issue with that song as a musical arranger. Um, and it is that he says in that song, you know, talk about kick the beat, and he loves and a hi hat with a super oh, yeah. tempo, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> There's not a damn hi hat in the song. Though. <laughs> not a hi hat. There's in no the hat. <laughs> There's like a shaker sound and a kick and a snare, but there isn't a hi hat. It's always driven me crazy. And he so said that for that sure he didn't rip question, off Queen. If we get that was you know, a Queen song. The podcast. He,
3: I think I somebody said something like he went, no, Queen's song is like doom yeah. And my song is a pressure.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. It's got the <laughs> yeah. pickup note. You know, All right, just we boom, just blew boom, boom, boom. it. We're not we're not having vanilla. I ice would love on the him show. to come on. I won't just, say a word.
2: Y'all are being critical of his crap. I love him. He,
0: apparently
3: <laughs> he's my favorite rapper. All right, see y'all later.